Good job, Blue Jays. Good job. She forgot to check until right now. Mar- Mariners did come back, yeah. Ah. I, I saw, so I was obviously watching Thursday Night Football. And I was keeping a loose eye on it. It was 2 nothing Rangers, and it was 2-1. And I went, ah, oh, this Rangers bullpen. They're going to they're gonna do bad. They're going to do bad things. So the magic number stays at two for the Toronto Blue Jays. But good job. Good, good job. You didn't lose to Luke Weaver. You can get swept at home by the New York Yankees. And now you go into this series against Tampa Bay. Avoid the nightmare, baby. It's all, that's this, avoid the nightmare. Actually, don't even think about the nightmare. Don't, nobody even, nobody in the city, I, I regret saying this. I regret even starting this way. Nobody think about it. Just wins. Just a regular baseball game with the Tampa Bay Rays. Team that you just smoked. Smoke them again. Don't love that. It feels like they might need Gossman to pitch again. At least it's on the table. Okay. So I'm going to start today with Chris Bassett, obviously. Um, Here's Chris Bassett yesterday after the game talking to the media. I didn't, I didn't try to chase 200 innings. I never tried to do that. I try to chase the postseason, honestly. And, I, and there's been a pain that I've held for well over a year just because of how last year ended for me. Um, and I just promised myself that I'm going to give the best chance I got to the team that whoever signs me every single day. And that's, that's truly what I've done. David, how do you not love this guy? I... I could not believe that he hadn't hit 200 innings before. That, bl- that, that blew me away that Chris Bassett didn't have 200 innings under his belt because part of the reason that he came here or part of the reason that I liked the signing was, okay, yeah, here's an innings eater. Here's a guy who's going to come in and eat some innings, and that's exactly what he did. He's been, I would say, much better than I expected this year. I thought Chris Bassett was going to be good. They gave him quite a bit of money. But when he was talking about that pain, you can tell this guy is just, he gets it. The narrative around Chris Bassett when the Blue Jays signed him, if any of y'all remember, was, hey, good pitcher, gamer, guy that cares, leader, dog. But he faded at the end of last season. At the end of last season, kind of pulled up lame. Had a really tough August. If you look at his stats in August, they were just bad. You know, like he was, he was, really, he was hurting his team in August. And then the final month of the season, he was just all right. Yeah, I think it was his final start of the year was a tough one where they kind of needed him and, and he didn't give it to him. And here he is with that same opportunity this year, his team also in a dogfight for the playoffs and he comes through and he hits 200 innings and he does it, by the way, in beautiful fashion, striking out Aaron Judge. There's genuinely no better way that you could have hit that milestone than striking out a guy who hit a bunch of juice baseballs out of the Rogers Center to break a record no one cared about unless it was the Yankees last year. So I think something, I, I think a little something happened yesterday. I think just a little something happened with this fan base and Chris Bassett that it's, we're, we're closer now than, than we were before. I think a lot of people liked Bassett. I certainly did. A lot of people, they love the, the journeyman leader here. I think we all do. This, this is just a thing. This is a Toronto sports thing. I think this is kind of an everywhere sports thing, but for whatever reason, maybe it's just because Toronto, the complexion of the city, the price of the tickets, but the uh, whatever the hell it is. But we just love the kind of blue-collar guy 
who punches above his belt. We do. We love that guy. And I love that guy. And Bassett went out there last night and he delivered. And yes, the Blue Jays offense, they got some critical home runs. Boy, it's nice to see home runs. Boy, it's really good when you have a couple runners on, you hit a home run, and all of a sudden the game is out of reach. It's almost like it would be great if they did that moving forward. But Chris Bassett, I think personally, something clicked for Blue Jays fans a little bit last night. It's been a bit of a grind of a year. Nobody can deny that, okay? It's been an up and down roller coaster. I would say the lows have been much lower than the highs this year. The highest of the highs that I can remember was the Atlanta series. Even when they beat Boston, when they scored all those runs and Davis Schneider emerged, it was after a really, really tough week again where people felt a little checked out. Braves, to me, was the highest of the high. Can't really think of anything that, that beat that week for me, that beat that series for me. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Highs have not been as high as the lows have been low. And we've seen all year long, hey, the pitching staff is really good. The pitching staff is really good. Each and every one of these guys gives the Blue Jays an opportunity to win. Hey, they're not a playoff team this year because of the offense. The offense has been completely underwhelming. We've gone over the offensive numbers at home, the home runs, everything, the injuries, blah, 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 blah. This team is in the playoffs. This team doesn't have losing streaks because they have pitchers who go out there and one of them can win you a ball game every single night. It's just stopper after stopper after stopper after stopper. And, and I think, well, at least I was thinking about this last night watching Bassett. I went, why is this guy not a little bit more popular? One is because, again, I, I think that the parameters of the fan base this year, right? Where we've been psychologically, most of us watching this team. Not talking about like the hyper positives or the hyper negatives. I'm saying the, the most of us, which have groaned at the losses to the American League East teams, that have groaned at the lows, have gone to a lot of those Rogers Center's games and not seen home runs and seen that offense be 25th at home. And the pitching, to me, has gone a little underappreciated, right? We're, we're spoiled. We've had good starting pitchers here for a long time now. Uh, we're used to good starting pitchers. Ke- Kevin Gossman, I feel like, he's loved. He's not loved the way that other aces have been here. Not sure why. Maybe it'll happen after a couple more years. Maybe it's because he wasn't. He didn't start as Blue Jay. He was a, he's a transplant. But th- there is something about Kevin Gossman where he's not embraced by this fan base the same way as other guys. Barrios, same thing. Tons of excitement around Barrios when he first came here. But then the disappointment and the basically, oh, boy, do we have to write this guy off? Had some pretty brutal, pivotal moments. His season has been a big talking point this year. Hey, Barrios is back. Barrios bounce back season. Same thing with Kikuchi. Kikuchi probably took more headlines in a positive aspect, from a positive aspect anyways, than any other pitcher on the Blue Jays in the rotation this year. Because he was public enemy number one, and he went from, hey, you can't even use this guy in any situation, to, hey, this guy is passable, this guy's playing well, this guy's doing it, to, oh, this guy's actually been the best pitcher for a month after the All-Star break, what a story. To, hey, where, where would he fit in, in a, in a playoff race? How would the Blue Jays use him come playoff time? Great season for Kikuchi. Tons of discussion around Kikuchi. Obviously, Manoa absorbed headlines for all the wrong reasons, but it was a large part of the season where it was, hey, Manoa, he's struggling. He's battling. He's walking, guys. He can't find the strike zone. Got to send him down. Got to bring him back up. All right. Now Ryu's back. This is another talking point. Ryu, what's he? Let's see him. Hey, Ryu, pretty good. Much better than we anticipated. Okay, we re-signing Ryu. And all the while... All the while, Chris Bassett was just chugging along. Just steady Eddie Chris Bassett, 
was just going out there, giving the Blue Jays 16 wins, which I know nobody cares about pitcher wins anymore. But that's tied for third in Major League Baseball. Got a top 20 ERA, top 20 whip. He's actually striking people out at a pretty solid clip, like a, a decent clip. Not great given the amount of innings, but still getting the punch outs. And overall, you end up with a guy who's shockingly at the 200 innings for the first time in his career. He's tied his career high in Ks. He's tied for the major league lead with six starts of seven innings pitched and zero earned runs. And last night, I felt like when he got taken out of the ball game and the fans had to had this massive moment of relief going, thank God, thank God you didn't destroy yourselves against the New York Yankees, a team that has already been eliminated from the playoffs, a team that is fielding largely AAA players and Aaron Judge, DJ LeMahieu, and Glaber Torres. And then the rest of their lineup is guys who probably shouldn't be Yankees next year. All due respect to Volpe, the future Derek Jeter. What hype. That's Although it's like when you watch the Yankees sometimes, you get mad about stuff like that, and you're like, God, as if I, had to, as if I know who Volpe is to this degree. Then you remember that you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. You got to shut up. And I talked about Easton Cowan for like 20 minutes yesterday. It's <laughs> you know, like, like every Calgary fan on the planet wants to stab you for the amount of time us media guys talk about Leafs prospects. And they're like, back one time? Yeah, all right. That's fine. Whatever. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. <laughs> Who do you got? Yeah, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Leaf stuff. Leaf stuff. Anyway, I think that that was a real legitimate moment. Of the season anyways. Like, and I know it's later in the year, but it was a, it, it's clutch. This offense needs pitchers to give performances like that. And did they hit the bombs? Did they have the six runs? Could they have won 6-4? Yes. But just for the fans to be able to go down to the ballpark, enjoy a game, see some home runs, have Chris Bassett dominate, be able to give somebody a standing ovation, see him go seven innings. The, the person who loved this guy the proper amount was not us, the fans. It was John Schneider all along. John Schneider had been the number one Chris Bassett fan in the city. He probably has a pretty damn good idea of who this guy is, what he means to that, bull, that, that, that clubhouse, what he means to that rotation. And yeah, I think now I'm really, really, really hoping that Chris Bassett can have some kind of a playoff moment because there, there's definitely a, there's like a Marco Scudero vibe there's some Marco Scudero. Boy, that's, he's not a Marco Scudero vibe. That is, that, that is not what I, yes. It's a Marco Estrada. Marco Scudero would be a little different. But yeah, there's like a Marco Estrada vibe there where I could see him getting in the playoffs, being cool, calm, collected, and having a pretty sweet moment for the city. And I, I know people are going, hey, who should be the number two starter? Who should be the number two starter if they get in the playoffs and they get into the spot? I'm just taking this one day at a time. I'm going to have that discussion a different day. But I also think it might be him. <laughs> I also think, here's what I would say. I really wouldn't be too upset if it was him. Okay, quickly, before we get to Bill's legend, Fred Jackson today, talk about Bill's Dolphins, a little bit of that Thursday night game. I really don't understand some of what the Lions are doing. I don't get the Gibbs thing. I don't get the, you know how many carries Montgomery had last night? Austin, he had 32. Dave Montgomery had 30. He was coming off an injury. One where we went, hey, uh, how, how long is this guy going to be out? And then he ends up getting 32 carries on Thursday night football. Three touchdowns, though. Pray for anybody who actually started him on their fantasy team this week. 
or who played against them. Anyway, um, quickly, the Lightning, Leaf stuff. Out of nowhere, I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention. I haven't gotten into full hockey mode yet, I got to admit. Like, I'm dipping the toe in. I've been very much Blue Jays, and this Damian Lillard thing happened. Forced me to be completely back in on basketball, like just whew, jump, in the, jump in the cold plunge. I've been really focused on NFL football, obviously. CFL has occupied a decent amount of my time this year, more than any other year of my life. And hockey, I'm just, I'm dipping my toe. I'm easing in. I'm watching some of these Leafs preseason games. I'm, I'm catching up. I obviously stay pretty connected to the Leafs all year long. Know what's happening with that team. But the rest of the, the, rest of the league, the rest of the National Hockey League, usually this is a starting now time where, okay, starting to look around, starting to read some team previews, starting to listen to some other people's podcasts, whatever. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. I'm being reminded, oh, right, that guy went there this offseason. Okay, right, okay. All right. Oh, wait, who's this kid coming up for what team? Ooh, we're watching Connor Bedard now. Highlights in the preseason with little beautiful dime passes. Love it. Vasilevsky, to me, out of the blue, boom, out two months. Two months. Two months. For a Lightning team whose only other headline so far this offseason was, hey, our captain's really pissed. Our, our captain, one of the faces of our franchise, one of the most famous players in Tampa Bay Lightning history is pissed off to the point where he is going to talk about it publicly on their media day. Whew. The Lightning have done this before with injuries where they've had major players out for long, significant stretches, including that captain, Steven Stamkos including Kucherov, including Hedman. And they've survived it. They've been fine. They're kind of, they're, they're a little bit in the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Raptors in the late 2010s of, hey, don't, don't worry about them. Just get in the playoffs. Just get enough points where you can get in the playoffs. And they had even moments last year where, well, they've actually had two seasons in a row now where we've done interviews with people who are around that team going, Hey, hey, what, what exactly is happening with you guys? Are, are you starting to burn out a little bit from these deep playoff runs? Is this starting to impact you? Or are these guys capable of playing deep into the postseason anymore? Because they put a lot of miles on the tires. A lot, a lot, a lot. And I can't help but think about, this is probably a little unfair, but Vasilevsky is the type of goalie who doesn't like to come out of the net. He hates it. This guy loves playing. Play, 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 play. Huge contract, most important player on the team, without a doubt. Got criticized, got mocked by a ton of Leaf fans last year because of the way that he performed in a bunch of those playoff games. But ultimately, this is one of the best goaltenders on the planet. I don't think that he's number one anymore, but I still do think that he's top three. You lose your top three guy in the regular season, and now you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, trying to figure out how the hell you're going to cobble together these starts. All of a sudden, your players need to play harder for two months. They need to lock in defensively just a little bit more. They're going to have to produce a little bit more. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll say it. I don't think Tampa's making the playoffs this year. I think this is it. I, here's, here's the reason why. I don't think the Leafs are falling out of the playoffs. The blue line is suspect, and the goaltending still has question marks, but they're going to put up points. They're going to have offenses. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they're going to, they're going to have... They're going to have regular season success. They're going to have regular season success. The Leafs are going to do that damn thing. I anticipate that the Florida Panthers are going to do the same too. They're missing a couple of stud blue liners to start the season, 
but I, I still like Florida to be able to get into the playoffs. So that's two spots. Boston, everyone's talking about them as the negative regression team. Everyone's like, oh, wow, they won so many games last year. And now it's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. They lost these guys, lost Bergeron, lost Hall. What are they going to do? How are they going to be replaced? There's the Bruins. Look at their roster. Look at their blue line. I still think that they're going to be a hard team to score against. And they're going to give you a good effort just about every night in the regular season. Plus, I bet, I bet the guys are pretty pissed about the way that the the season ended for them last year. And they're looking to prove something. Maybe they're not. I I don't think they're going to be as good in the regular season. Obviously not. But I bet you that's a team that's hell-bent on proving to everybody that this thing ain't done yet. It's the Boston Bruins. That's three teams. I like the Sens. I think they're going to jump up. I don't think the Red Wings are going to be a playoff team. But I think that they're going to be far more competitive this year. And then my Sabres, our Sabres, until the Sabres are good. Everybody likes to, everybody gets to like the Sabres a little bit until they play the Leafs. And then you get to hate Rasmus Dahlin because he's pretty much hated, I think, universally by this fan base. But for the most part, that's a team that looks like they're supposed to take a step too. I, I just, I have to believe that one of the Senators or Sabres are going to be able to step up and jump over the Lightning. One of those two teams, one of those young, hungry, fast teams is going to be able to jump over Tampa. So, yeah, maybe the Lightning may make it. But if they do make it, I think it's pretty clearly going to be the wild card spot. And that they're not going to be one of the top three teams in this division anymore. Just, oof. This is starting to feel like, yeah, the end of an empire. So, yeah, play this in Tampa's dressing room and then everybody flame me when Tampa eventually beats the Leafs in the playoffs. All right. Quick break. Let's come back and let's have a chat with, again, third all-time in rushing yards for the Buffalo Bills. Huge, huge, huge game right at 1 o'clock. Actually, we get eased in with a little bit of – there's NFL Europa this weekend. There's the 930 Wembley game. Falcons-Jaguars. Sexy. We always send the best. Wake up to that, and then boom, you're right into it. Bills-Dolphins with Fred Jackson next. Sportsnet 590. 590. The fan. All right, really excited for our next guest. Fred Jackson. Third in all-time rushing yards for the Buffalo Bills. Nine years in the NFL. At Fred22Jackson on Twitter. And, of course, Bills analyst for Spectrum News 1. Good morning, buddy. How we doing? Not too bad, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you, dude. Uh, We've been meaning to do this for a little while now. So, yeah, I want to talk about this massive game at 1 o'clock on Sunday with you. But I do have to just one quick question about last night's game because I I thought it was just going to be a blowout. I thought it was going to be just a weird game where we're going to have a 24, 48-hour news cycle about Jordan Love and the Packers and did they not hit on the next quarterback, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the Lions win this game pretty handedly. And David Montgomery, a vet coming off an injury, gets 32 carries in a blowout. And Jameer Gibbs, who they take in the first round of the NFL draft this year, yeah, barely being run between the tackles. I just, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the way that the Lions deploy their running backs. Uh, you know, it, it has to be something that, that, that coaching staff sees uh, for their scheme. You know, I think um, obviously when you, when you, take a, a running back that high you're expecting him to be out there and be utilized a lot and uh-huh. uh they paid montgomery a lot of money too to come to detroit and they they must have liked what they saw and, and what he does for their scheme and that's one of the reasons he's you know getting the bulk bulk of the carries and things like that right now so um it, it has to be something that they they just see scheme wise that he fits better than uh jameer and uh, you know maybe it's one of those things where they're going to work him in slowly too you know mm. 
Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, it obviously worked for them last night, you know, so, uh, I mean, they, they, they're, they're probably going to stick to it until somebody proves them wrong. So, um, but if, if I'm Jameer, I'm just staying ready. You know, he's, he's a capable back. He's made plays when he's got an opportunity. And, um, uh, sometimes all you can do is bide your time. And when you do get that opportunity to be the lead dog, you take off and you run with it. Yeah. It just, it's, it's a little strange to me, I guess, because every time Gibbs gets the ball, he looks great. I like Montgomery too. And you can't really fault the way that he's run. He runs hard. I'm guessing that they really have a, a sincere trust in him, especially as they get close to the goal line. But yeah, Gibbs got he's eight rush yesterday in the Packers. Again, a game where you held the lead for the most part. I know he's getting some extra receptions where they're, you know, trying to put him out in space. And he's had two games this year with seven. And I just, yeah, you, you normally, especially today, modern age of football, where we really are hypercritical of taking running backs early in drafts. To see, yeah, this guy runs so few times. I, I think it's been a little shocking to me, uh, shocking to few. Do you think that this team now, too, the Detroit Lions, like we're talking tortured fan bases here today. They're, have, have they officially become the team of the division for you, or you need a little bit more time, you need to prove it a little bit more? Because, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's like the Vikings are going to be doing too much this year, and I certainly um, don't think that it's going to be the Bears. Yeah, you know, I think after the the dominant performance that they had last night, you have to say that. You know, they mm-hmm. they come in and you know the Packers are you know flying high. Jordan loves playing well. They they have a comeback victory last week where he came out and played well and led his team to a victory. And uh, then to go into Lambeau and handle them basically the entire game, you have to say that the the Lions are the king of the division right now. And you know it's early and and things happen, but. You know, just based off of the things and everything that has happened and unfolded thus far, you have to say that the Lions are the team to beat in that division. And especially if they keep playing as well as they do on both sides of the ball. You know, they got after the quarterback. You know, they got after Jordan last night with the D-line. You know, rushing only four rushers. If they can continue to play like that on defense, you know, and still put up points on offense, they're going to be a tough out for anybody that has to go in there and play them. So, um, yeah, I would agree and say that, you know, Detroit is the the, the team that you're going to have to go through to win that division. So I, I did a quick check to see if you had ever had a game where you rushed 32 times. No. 28. <laughs> That's the most. Tampa yeah. Bay. How, mm-hmm. how do you feel after 28 rushes? Well, it's kind of funny because it, it depends on the game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, after playing in, in Tampa, I had 28 rushes. Um, but I, I was not touched and not tackled as, as much as you would think after getting 28 touches. There was a lot of times where, you know, I'm running for long runs and I just get, you know, clipped on my ankle and I fall that way. Yeah. Um, but there's times that you get 12 carries and you feel the worst that you've ever felt in your life because the defense is just pounding the crap out of you every time you touch the ball. So, um, you know, you're sore. It's every Sunday, every Monday, Tuesday, you wake up, you're sore after a game and, uh, it's fun though when you're out there being able to put in work and you get 28 carries and you have, you know, some yardage to go with it. It makes it feel worth it and it makes it feel a, a, a hell of a lot better than if you have 28 carries and you know 60 yards for sure. By the way, I got I got it wrong. I've been wrong about stats all day today. I was wrong about uh, some uh, Chris Bassett stats earlier in the show. Got his wrong year for a month in August, and now you had 33 carries once, and this was a pretty nice game. You know what game it is. I'm gonna go with the Colts. I oh believe. yeah, 212 yeah. yards, pretty good. 212 yards, pretty yeah. good. Six forty-two oh, a carry. You were gashing them. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of those ones where the next day you don't hurt as bad. Yeah, you felt fine. You you were able to make some plays. Yeah, you feel you feel 
you know, validated for having 33 carries when you wake up and say, yeah, I had 33 carries, but I had 200 yards to go with it. So yeah. it definitely makes it a lot easier to, to, to deal with that, those aches and pains. Well, this is probably a good way to transition into Miami, right? Because that's probably how a lot of their players are feeling right now. They're like, you guys put up 70 points. Is your offense tired? And those guys are like, no. Uh, a lot of the Broncos players just decided to actually lay down on the field and, and just let us run. It was like some of those plays, it looked like, I don't know, have you ever, yeah, of course, you must, you must be a Madden guy too, right? Who wouldn't? If I was in a video game, I'd play me in the video game all the time. Like I would still have every single year that I was in the video game that I would never buy a new version because I would just be like, yeah, why would I be anyone but me? But when you would like, if you put it on easy mode, that was basically the Broncos defense where it's like you make one little move and then the guys just fall down. So yeah, they're probably feeling fine. But how cocky do you think that group's feeling after spotting 70? I mean, you, you have to be flying on cloud nine right now. There's, there's no doubt you, you get in those modes where the game just becomes easy. And obviously when you put up 70 points, it's easy to everybody out there on the offensive side of the ball. So they, they, they have to be feeling real great about themselves. I actually talked to the running back coach. He's my favorite coach of all time, uh, Eric Studisville. And I was just like, Eve, what did you feed those guys, man? I mean, you guys are out there. You put up 70, a 70 burger on a, on a national football league team, you know, that's unheard of. So um, if, Feeling that way and coming into a great game like they that they have the opportunity to go out and establish you know some real dominance uh, playing against the, the team that has won a division the last three four years uh, they got to be feeling real good about themselves and it's it's going to be a, a great test you know the defensive you know uh, whole the whole defensive side of the ball for Buffalo has to be looking forward to it as as well you know you get to play against a team that is very explosive very volatile when they step on the field and. Um, you've done some great things on the defensive side of the ball for the past two weeks. So it's going to be a great challenge. It's going to be fun to watch from both sides of the ball. Okay. So uh, since you know Studisville and I'm guessing that you're, you're paying attention to what the Dolphins are doing and what he's doing with that running room. I, I think it's, I, I don't want to oversimplify things, but when we're looking at the Dolphins offense, the thing that I think all of us can understand is, Hey, why are they having a ton of success? Well, Tua gets the ball out faster than any other quarterback in the NFL so far this season and he's averaging more yards per attempt than any other quarterback. So you look at those two things combined and say, okay, well, that makes sense. You can't hit him. You can't rush him. And when he's delivering this football, it's going deep down the field to guys like Tyreek, right? And they didn't have Waddle last week, but guys like him as well. The rushing concepts, I think, are harder for us to understand. And so I wonder if there's a way for you to kind of layman's term, break it down to us. What Mike McDaniel does so effectively with the running game where they can take guys, and I'm not. This is no disrespect to Raheem Mostert and Devin A. Chain, whoever, like you know, whoever runs the ball for them. But whoever does seem to be running the ball for them, these are their top four guys this year: 5.9 yards per carry, 10.9 yards per carry, 7.3 yards per carry, four yards per carry. Like it doesn't really seem to matter who they hand the ball to. That this offense is able to run it. Yeah, I mean, it it sounds really simple, but it's it is really simple when you have two, three guys that can blow the roof off of a defense and you have to keep safeties back, it makes running the ball so much easier because you can get a hat on a hat. You can get one offensive lineman to block one defensive lineman, one lineman that can get up to a linebacker. And if that's the case, and any time that you have, you, you can hand the ball to, again, no disrespect, like you said, you can hand the ball to any running back. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to find a hole because you're going to be able to punch a hole in the defense if you can put a hat on a hat. If, you don't have to worry about the unblocked defender ever. 
it it makes the job for a running back so much easier. You get to just pick, all right, this is a zone scheme. Where am I going to run where there's not a person? And, and any running back who's worth his, his, his weight in anything should be able to do that. And that's why you see these guys averaging over five yards of carry because they're literally getting down the field to a safety that has to react and come forward from 12 yards deep so that they don't get Tyreek running by them. Um, it makes it just that much easier. And anytime you have, you, you don't have two shut down corners that have the speed to keep up with Tyreek, you're going to have some success running the ball. And that's one of the things that the Bills are going to be, you know, dealing with. Who's going to cover these guys? That, or how are you going to keep these safeties back? You need some defensive linemen that can beat one on one blocks and, and just create havoc where you don't have to worry about these big gaping holes in the offensive line from them just punching a hole in your defense. Mm-hmm. Well, this is why I was so excited to have you today too, right? Because it's clear the way that we advertise these games, and rightfully so, you know, we'll probably talk about both quarterbacks, but I just feel like the, the running game with both these teams being really overlooked right now. Bills, by the way, uh, that they get the highest two tight end percentage in the NFL right now. James Cook is third in rushing. Like, he's got the third most yards in the NFL. I think if you asked... Most NFL fans, that question, unless they own him in fantasy, then they would not know the answer to that. They would they would guess probably, I would say, 15 to 30 other guys before they would guess that James Cook yeah. is number three. So, yeah, yeah uh, the Chargers, I don't think people forget, just happened, but the Chargers rushed for over 200 yards against Miami. How, how critical is Buffalo's rushing attack going to be in this game? Well, it's, uh, it's for the same reason I just said. You know, if you can make the the Dolphins bring a safety down in the box, you're going to create some one-on-one matchups, you know, across the board. And, and the Bills have great guys that can beat one-on-one coverage. And if that's the case, it's going to make the job easier. James being able to have success, like you said, I did not know he was third until I saw it uh, yesterday. I yeah. didn't know he was third. It's the most quiet, if quiet start to a season out of anybody, especially given that, like everyone's critique of Buffalo over the last few years is like, Hey, Josh yeah. Allen can't be the lead rusher on this team. And then they get a guy and no one talks about him for the entire, like the first two Absolutely. weeks of the season. Absolutely. I had no idea. I yeah. saw it yesterday too. And I was just like, wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. that makes some makes sense. Why the game has looked so easy for, you know, Josh in some spots because he's the, the pressure's not on him to be the leading rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean the same thing I just said, if you can get a running game going and you make these guys have to bring a safety down in the box, you create those one-on-one matches with Stefan, with Gabe, you know, with Dawson or, or any of those guys who get one-on-one matchups, they can win against those. And that makes it easier for Josh. And then you have the ability to hand the ball off and, James, who's averaging, um, you know, I think he's averaging over four and a half yards a carry or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you can get that on first down, that that opens up your playbook. You're on task to do a lot of different things. It makes the job of the offensive coordinator, you know, calling plays, it makes his job so much easier when you have, especially when you have all the weapons at his disposal. So um, it, it's going to be, you know, imperative that they get out and get this, get the running game going early and um, take advantage of, of those one-on-one situations. Steph is, is one of the best runner or receivers in the league. Mm-hmm. And if he gets in a one-on-one situation, he's going to win, you know, eight, nine, ten out of eight or nine times out of ten. So uh, you want that. Josh wants that. They want to get the run game going early because it's going to open up a lot of things for everybody and, and, and make everybody's job that much easier. 
Uh, by the way, it's a uh, 6.1 yards per carry for James Cook to start Ooh, the season. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely. Hand him the ball a hundred times. Yeah, but that's okay. So that's what I was going to kind of ask you next is like, okay, we, I think most of us saw the, the big run, right? He had a 67 yard big, just chunk play so far this season. That's nice, but he's only got, yeah, he's got 30, he's got 30 carries so far this year. Like four, yeah, 40 carries, 30 against the FC. Sorry is what I'm looking at here. He's got 44 carries. What? Well, it's so quiet. It's been a quiet statistical season for him or sorry, a quiet eye test season, a big statistical yeah. season. What do you see when you watch him run? Like, do you think that this is a guy who can be a lead back? Because I think when he was drafted, a lot of people thought, okay, no, this is a change of pace guy. Yeah. You know, I, and I was, I was one of those, those guys who were like, okay, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of back he transitions into from coming from college where, um, you know, he's coming to the league. You're thinking he's going to be a change of pace guy. I like what he does. You know, he's, he's not only, you know, quiet in, everybody's mind but even when you watch him play he's he's a quiet runner so to speak he doesn't make those those hard knee jerk cuts he's kind of just moving you know gliding through a defense and i said that's one of the things that i noticed about him is he runs and it looks like he's hit for a two-yard carry but it ends up being five and i think that's what's going to be one of the things that keeps him at the top of the league when it comes to rushing is these carries that look like two yards he's making it look so easy and effortless, but it's really a five yard run. And I think that's why he's where he is now, um, you know, being third in the league in rushing, because when you watch him, it doesn't look like he's trying his hardest, but I mean, at the end of the day, you look at the numbers he's putting up and you're like, wow, that, I mean, that guy's out there, you know, putting in a lot of work. So it's going to be, you know, fun to watch him. They got great veteran leadership in the locker room with him, with him guys that he can pick their brain. I think one of the most, you know, un, you know, recognized tra- or signings this offseason was bringing in Latavius Murray. I've mm-hmm. always been a fan of Latavius, you know, watching him play. And I think he just does a lot of things well. And I think that's going to be great for James, somebody like, for somebody like James to learn from Latavius because Latavius is, well, I think he's 33 and he's been doing it for a long time. And anytime you get to be around a guy like that and pick his brain and ask him what it is he's seen in defenses and what he's seen and have how he's had some of the success that he has, uh, it's just going to help James in the long run. So, um, but I, I just like how he goes out and quietly goes about his business. Even when you talk to him, you know, he's, he's not a flashy guy. He's just, you know, I'm just out there working, you know, trying to do the best for my team. And I think those are the guys that have a lot of success and, you know, have long tenures is, is the guys that go out there and continue to put in the work that he does. Yeah, I like I like the running back room for them. And you're right about Latavius Murray from the standpoint of he's an older guy because when he rushed in for a touchdown the other week and I was watching with friends, someone went, Latavius Murray? And then another person room went, no, that can't possibly be Latavius. It's got to be a different yeah. Murray. Yeah. It's like, no, it was Latavius Murray. Everyone just assumed he was out of the league for a couple of years. Oh, no, he's, yeah. still, he's still running. He's 33 years old. I know that once it's 30, it's basically supposed to be over. But, yeah, no, I think it was a, a shocking one to everybody basically in the room. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was just a, a fun moment. Anyway, I like, I just, I, I'm a big fan of them being able to run the football or be able to kind of sustain mm-hmm. this or hope they keep doing this. Because I've just always believed that if Josh Allen continues to be the team's number one rush option, that, yeah, it's going to end up hurting him. It's going to force those Superman plays. It's more times where he's holding on to the football too long, which is when Allen can get into trouble. And 
Yeah, I, I wonder what you've seen from that standpoint so far this season. Because, yeah, it's, it's tough. In a, although that game, it, it was a blowout against Washington. They get all the turnovers. But it was a two-score game for a long stretch. And I know it was, you know, two eight scores. But still, it was a two-score game for a long stretch of that ball game. The first week, Allen just turning it over like crazy. He gets completely criticized by everyone. Yeah, like, have you seen a different Josh Allen the last couple of weeks? Do you think we'll ever see a different Josh Allen when it comes to kind of putting the cape on and, and forcing himself to be Superman when the game gets big? Yeah, you know, it, it, you, you definitely see some growth. You see the first week. It To me, and as a, as, as a former player and somebody, you know, that was a part of the game, what I took from Josh's first game against the Jets was just, it was just a big scene. You know, he was out there, you know, trying to – he's playing against Aaron Rodgers, a guy he idolized. You know, granted he didn't play the entire game. I mean, he was in there for four plays. But I thought it was just Josh doing way too much and Josh wanting to go out and put on a great show for this Sunday night game against Aaron Rodgers and all this hype that had come with that and Aaron being on hard knocks with the Jets and blah, 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 blah. And it was just Josh out there doing way too much. I think he felt like that in the interviews I, I watched from him after the game. He, you can see in his face, he was kind of like, what am I doing? You know, mm. th- this is, you know, not, not a, a great formula for winning football games. So in the second game, you see him come out and he's, he's throwing these little, taking what the defense is giving him, throwing these little check downs here, make it throwing the ball away when it's not there, not taking chances. Uh, but, you know, then every now and then he does make a play where he's scrambling and he throws back across his body and he gets a touchdown to Gabe. So, um, but I think you got to live and die with that. This is a guy that you have put everything on his plate. You have said you have to, you know, win football games for us. So every now and then he's going to make some of those throws that you're like, you're you're holding on to the edge of your seat to see who's on the other end of the reception or if it's an interception. Um, but the more that his teammates around him continue to get better and you have a guy averaging 6.1 yards a carry, you have a running game that that you he doesn't have to be the lead rusher, the more that you get those things going, the easier it becomes for Josh, and he doesn't have to go out and make these Superman plays, but they're still in his bag. He can still go into his bag and make those plays if he has to. Um, but he's going to continue to be a superstar, man. He He's Josh Allen for a reason. He's going to continue to try and put the team on his back when he has to. And the, the great thing about it is we know he's capable of doing so. So the, the, the take, take a lot off his plate, get a guy like James Cook going. You got a Latavius Murray and, and, and those guys in the backfield. You got a Stefan Diggs who can beat anybody that's trying to cover him. You got Dawson Knox and, and, and Kincaid. Um, that out on the field in more two tight end sets for a reason because that gives Josh more weapons to use when he's out on the field and just take all that off his plate, man, and and you're gonna have a Josh that's playing well and weapons that he can utilize at all times. So for the Bills, maybe this game can serve as a reminder of last year when everyone was kind of hyping up a game early on in the season between the two top teams in the AFC who had already faced in the playoffs, right? Bills and Chiefs. Bills go in, it's early October, and they beat the Chiefs. And, yeah, it didn't end up materializing into much. It's a different divisional game. 
Like there is a little bit of added to it, especially yeah, regular season record, both these teams wanting that buy at some point. But I'm curious which team you think this is more important to psychologically. Uh, well, I think psychologically it has to be more important to the Dolphins because they've gotten out to such a hard, uh, a hot start. You know, they they're on top of the world right now. Everybody's, you know, clamoring to what's going on with the Dolphins, the success that they've had. And if you go out and your big brother who has won the division the last, like I said, three four years, beats you again, you know what does that do to your your psyche? Like we've been off, we've been playing so well. And we have this divisional game and we have these guys that are in our division that we have to beat to get to where we want to be. Um, but we, after all the success we had, the, the 70 points we just put up last week, we still cannot beat these guys. Mm. Um, I think it will do more damage to them. The Bills know that they're that when they play Miami, it's going to be tough. It's tough every time they play them. So um they they've had the success of beating them they've they've also lost once already this year so they've they've had to deal with that um it's it will be i think more detrimental to the dolphins losing this weekend and hopefully that's the case because i mean i, I mean we're all pulling for buffalo to win the game uh but i think absolutely it's going to there's more pressure on the dolphins to win than there is for the bills to win just because of like i said the hot start that they've gotten off to mm-hmm. and you know, it, going through what's happened in the past, the Bills have been the, the the dog, the top dogs of the division anyway. So people are expecting that, and um, even Miami might be expecting it. Like, we can't go into Buffalo and beat these guys, but we're going to show, go out and give it our best shot. Yeah, I think it would feel a little bit like the, there's like a Cowboys potential here, right, from last week against the Cardinals, where if yeah. the Bills get a bunch of turnovers and that Miami offense can't just move up and down the field. They are leading every talk show on Monday with everyone saying, hey, did they play anybody, right? Like, hey, now when we actually look back at it, Chargers defense, you know, like, hey, they played the Broncos who just laid down. Hey, how real is this? The two MVP odds change and everything goes back to kind of what you're saying. I would say that the counter would just simply be that for Buffalo, it's been such a grind, right? Like, man, you played on those Changeli teams. <laughs> you know, like, just, oh, yeah. it's, it's been, it was a while for Bills fans where, yeah, the best memory was uh, the Andy Dalton play, a, a guy on another team scoring a touchdown. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's been a while. And so if you're the Bills, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're sitting at two and two and you get spanked by the Dolphins. Yeah, you're 500. And you're saying, man, we've lost two divisional games all of a sudden and maybe we're not the top of the pile anymore. My, my guess would be though, that just because they they've actually had success and they had that game against the chiefs the year before, and that they have had success that that would go away. But where I, where I am going with this ultimately is how much do we actually overstate this as people on the outside? Like you are an NFL player and come like when we talk about these things, like, Hey, it's week four of the season, you know, it's week three of the season It's you know, early on, like, does any of this stuff matter by the time you hit the, you know, week 13, 14, 15, yeah, I mean, as a as a player, former player, we broke every we broke it down in, in four segments, four segments of the season, and you want to be 500 or better in each one of those those four segments. So, going into this is the fourth quarter of the first segment where it's you're going to be either two and two or you're going to be three and one, mm-hmm. and at the at the end of the day, like you said, week 13, week 14, are you worried about what you did in week four? Mm-hmm. Not really, because 
so much changes throughout the season. There's so much that happens in, with your team, and there's so much that happens with other teams throughout the, the league, other teams throughout your division. So the only thing that you're doing is you're trying to set yourself up for week 13 and 14 where a loss in week four did not matter as much as it could matter if you did not put yourself in the best situation by the time you get to week 13, 14. Yes, these games all mean something. Every time you step out on the field, you're going out to win. You're going out to make sure that you have the best opportunity to make a run at a Super Bowl. So you're absolutely aware of, man, we need to take care of business right now. We have an opportunity. We're we're already down a division game. We've already taken a loss in the division, in the division so we can't mm-hmm. go out and lose another one. So, yes, these are all things that are going through your head and things that are being talked about. But, yes, at the end, at the end of the day, it's not the end-all, be-all, you know, what happens in week four. Mm-hmm. We, we still have an opportunity in week 13 or 14 to rewrite and write the ship based off of what we've done early in the season. So there, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, and then there's a lot that you're just like, we can't control that now. We, we mm-hmm. didn't get the job done, but we can keep moving forward. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you want to win the game. You want to send a message early. You want, when you play these guys again, you want them to know, you know, we what, what type of battle you're going to get when you step on the field facing the Buffalo Bills. Well, I, I know. Listen, this game means a lot. I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be a terrific ball game, but I will say an easy reminder for me for everybody to chill out off the result is if when these two teams play again later in the year, whoever loses, we're going to say about the loser, these guys want revenge. And so it's like, we're going to end up getting the the narrative angle of this is you're going to be able to make one no matter what happens in this football game. essentially. So so yeah, like it doesn't really matter how much of this we hype up in week three. Ultimately, we're going to be able to do those things. Yeah. Come later in the year. Anyway, uh, Hey man, we got to run, uh, but we got one more question. I have to ask it, as, especially as a Seahawks fan, and you know you're an alumnus. Uh, but yeah, you came mm-hmm. in to league, and you spent those first three years with Marshawn Lynch, and he won't give us any stories because he just refuses, unless you know it's maybe a movie role or something like. T- yeah, he did just did yeah. a movie. Oh, your favorite Marshawn Lynch story that you can tell? Oh man. So I always, this is my favorite one because Marshawn, I love him and my son loves Marshawn as well. Of course. So when my son was, my son was two, we were, Marshawn had just come over to the house and you know, you pick on kids, you take their cookies and you act like you eat them. Marshawn actually took my son's cookie (laughs) and was running around with it, messing with him. And then he actually ate the damn cookie. And I was like, Marshawn, you can't do that to kids, man. Like, that was his cookie, and you actually ate his cookie. And Marshawn was like, he'll be all right, and he kind of just pushed Braden. I mean, they still love each other to this day, man. Marshawn was just at the house this summer, and yeah. Braden still gives him a hard time about that cookie when yeah. he ate it. Yeah, I'm sure he got him back at some point. Maybe not. <laughs> I actually like to live in a world where he did. He never got him back. Hey, Fred, this was great, yeah. man. Uh, like I said, I was really looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for this game this weekend, man. I hope we do this again down the line. Sound good. I appreciate you having me on. Cheers, dude. Uh, there goes Fred Jackson, third all-time rushing yards for the Buffalo Bills. And yeah, a lot of those. That that's it for me. Is just so many. There's so many bad years of Buffalo Bills. Psychologically, I wonder for the fan base if this is a little bit more important. Like the players, I think they'll be fine. I really do. I just said it. Yeah, Dolphins can go in there. They can spank you. You'll feel like, hey, it's a long season. We're going to be around it. We got Josh Allen. We're not going anywhere. But for the fan base. 
feel like that could be a tough blow. Like everybody's kind of writing you off as, hey, maybe you're not the same team you were. Maybe you take a step back this year. A lot of people did project the Jets, the Dolphins, maybe some. I, I think some pretty prominent people had the Bills outside of the playoff picture this season. I, I didn't see that way. I still thought that the Bills were going to win the division, that this was still theirs. I, I think they're going to win this game. But I think for the fans, you got to hold on a little bit. This would be a tough one to swallow if all of a sudden Miami beats you and you're sitting there 500 going and having to think about whether or not the Dolphins are the best team in the division for the rest of the season. Uh, that wouldn't sit too well with the fans. Team will be fine. Fans probably not. Anyway, subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. And sorry to Chris Bassett, whose stats I got wrong. I don't know why I got that. Pulled that earlier. Had the wrong August stats for him last year. Tough last final start of the year for him. That's what he was referencing. But yeah, the other stuff was wrong. Anyway, uh, leave five stars, even with those things wrong. And we will see you on Monday.